part one chapters fifteen and sixteen of bessie's fortune by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain fifteen gray and the secret breakfast was waiting in the pleasant dining-room at gray's park where burton gerald sat before the fire with his head bent down and his face so white and ghastly that his wife when she came in and saw him was moved with a great pity for him though she wondered much that his sorrow should be so acute for the father he had never seemed very fond of in life stooping over him she kissed him softly and said i am sorry you feel so badly burton your father was old and quite ready to die surely that should comfort you a little yes yes i know but please don't talk to me now he replied with a gesture of the hand as if to silence her he was not sorry for his father's death but he was willing nay glad that she should think so for he could not tell her of the load of shame from which he should never be free what would she say if she knew he asked himself as he remembered all her pride of blood and birth and family and gray his only boy of whom he was so proud and who he fully expected would some day fill one of the highest posts in the land what would he say if he knew his father was the son of a murderer burton would not soften the crime even in thought though he knew that had his father been arrested at the time he could only have been convicted of manslaughter and possibly not of that but he called it by the hard name murder and shuddered as he thought of gray but he will never know he said to himself hannah will keep her promise and i do not fear mr sandford though i give half my fortune yes all if he had not been told gray will never know but i know and must meet his innocent eyes and hear him talk of his grandfather as of saint it was at this point in his soliloquy that gray came slowly in his face whiter than his father's with dark rings around his eyes which were heavy and swollen with the tears he had shed gray had not slept at all for the dreadful words i killed a man and buried him under my bed were continually ringing in his ears while the ghost of the murdered man seemed present with him urging him to vengeance for the wrong until at last when he could bear it no longer he stretched his hands out into the darkness and cried what is it you want with me i am not to blame but if there is anything i can do to make it right i'll do it when i am man now go away and do not torment me so gray knew there was nothing there knew that the spirits of the departed do not come back again but he was not in a frame of mind to reason clearly upon anything he only knew how wretched he was and that after his promise to redress the dead man's wrongs he grew calmer and more quiet though there was still that terrible pain and disappointment in his heart especially when he thought of his aunt hannah whom he had held so high and whom he now felt he had loved and revered more than any other person remembering all the past which at times had puzzled him and which he now understood he was certain that she had known from the first and so was an accomplice possibly the law would not touch her he reasoned as he tried to fancy what might have been had this thing been known to the public but he remembered having heard of a case which happened in an adjoining town many years before where at the instigation of his wife a man was killed and thrown into his own well the wife was hung in worcester with her three accomplices but a woman who was in the house at the time went free though she was ever after known as old scape gallows and shunned accordingly was his aunt hannah like her would people thus call her if they knew no no oh no he cried in agony she is not like that please god grant that my aunt hannah is a good woman still i cannot lose faith in her and i love her so much and thus the dreadful night wore to an end and the morning found gray burning with fever while a sharp pain like a knife cut through his temples every time he moved 
he was not surprised when lucy came and told him his grandfather was dead he expected it but with a moan he buried his face in his pillow and sobbed oh grandpa where are you now i wonder and i thought you so good so sure of heaven please god have mercy on him oh i cannot bear it i cannot bear to think that he is lost and he loved me so and blessed me on his deathbed this was the burden of gray's grief for he did not stop to consider all the years of sincere repentance which had purified the soul just gone and made it fit for heaven and his heart was very sore as he slowly dressed himself and went down to the breakfast-room to meet his father who knew what he did and who must feel it just as keenly gray's first impulse was to fall upon his neck and cry out i know i heard it i was there we will bear it together but when he remembered that his grandfather had said that he was not to know he restrained himself and said very quietly grandpa is dead aunt lucy told me when is the funeral the voice was not like gray's and mr gerald looked up quickly to meet the eyes which fell at once as did his own neither could look in the other's face with that secret which each knew and was hiding from the other but both were outwardly calm and the breakfast passed quietly with no reference to the recent event occupying the minds of all mrs gerald and her sister had expected that gray would feel his loss keenly and possibly be noisy in his boyish demonstrations of grief but they were not prepared for the torpor which seemed to have settled upon him and which kept him indoors all day sitting by the fire over which he shivered as if in a chill though his cheeks were crimson and he sometimes wiped the drops of sweat from his lips and forehead his head was still aching terribly and he was cold and faint and this was a sufficient reason for his declining to accompany his aunt lucy when after breakfast was over she went with his father to the farmhouse where she spent nearly the entire day seeing to the many little things necessary for the funeral and which hannah could not attend to geraldine did not go her nerves were not equal to it and she should only be in the way she said she sent her love to hannah and remained at home with gray who seldom spoke to her and scarcely stirred though occasionally his mother saw his lips move and great tears roll down his cheeks i suppose he would care but not so much as this she thought as she watched him anxiously wondering at the strength of his love for an old man in whom she had never even felt interested once moved with pity for him she put her hand on his head just as in the morning she had put it on her husband's and stooping kissed him tenderly saying i am sorry for you gray is it really making you sick try and not feel so badly your grandfather was old and ready to die you would not have him back he is so happy now just as his father had done when she tried to comfort him so gray did he made a gesture for her to stop and said piteously please don't talk to me now i cannot bear it so she sat down again beside him while he continued to nurse the bitter thoughts crowding so fast upon him was his grandfather happy now was it well with him in the world to which he had gone he kept asking himself over and over again all that dreary day and the drearier night which followed and which left him whiter sadder if possible than ever the funeral was appointed for half-past two on saturday afternoon and burton who went over in the morning asked gray to go with him your aunt hannah will expect you she was disappointed in not seeing you yesterday but gray said promptly no i'll wait and go with mother so mr gerald went alone with lucy leaving his wife and gray to join him about half-past one just before the neighbours began to assemble when gray came in hannah who was already draped in her mourning robe which lucy had provided for her went up to him and putting her arms around him said very low and gently but with no sadness in the tone 
oh gray i am so glad you have come and sorry you are suffering so from headache but i know just how you loved him and how he loved you better than anything else in the world will you come with me and see him now he looks so calm and peaceful and happy just as you never saw him look oh no no gray cried wrenching himself from her i cannot see him don't ask me please not see your grandfather who loved you so much oh gray hannah exclaimed with both wonder and reproach in her voice i want you to remember him as he looks now so different from what he was in life but i cannot gray said i never saw any one dead i cannot bear it and going from her he took a seat in the kitchen as far as possible from the bedroom which held so much horror for him he knew his grandfather was not there for he was lying in his coffin in the front room where lucy had put the flowers brought from the conservatory at gray's park but the other one was there under the floor where he had lain for thirty-one years and gray was thinking of him wondering who he was and if no inquiries had ever been made for him the room was a haunted place for him and he was glad the door was closed and once when lucy went into it for something he started as if to keep her back then remembering that he must never be supposed to know the secret of that room he sank again into his chair in the corner where he stayed until the people began to assemble when he went with his mother into the adjoining room where the coffin was and where he sat immovable as a stone through the service which was not very long the hymn which had been selected by hannah was the one commencing with asleep in jesus that blessed sleep from which none ever waked to weep and as the mournful music filled the rooms and the words came distinctly to gray's ears he started as if struck a blow while to himself he said is he asleep in jesus if i only knew can no one tell me poor grandpa then he was quiet again and listened intently to what mr sanford was saying of the deceased contrary to his usual custom the rector spoke of the dead man who had gone down to the grave like a sheaf of grain fully ripe and meat for the kingdom of heaven there can be no mistake he said i was with him a few hours before he died i heard his words of contrition for sins committed and his assurance that all was peace and joy and brightness beyond the tomb his sins of which he repented as few ever have were all washed away in jesus's blood and while to-day we stand around his grave he is safe with the saviour he loved and trusted to the end what else he said gray did not know for the sudden reaction in his feelings mr sanford was with his grandfather at the last he had heard the dreadful words i killed a man and yet he declared the sinner saved he must know he who had stood by so many deathbeds yes he is asleep in jesus gray whispered while over him there stole a feeling of deep joy mingled with the remorse that he had ever doubted the goodness of his grandfather who had prayed for and blessed him on the thanksgiving day which seemed so long ago gray could look upon him now and when his aunt hannah and his father rose to take their leave of the corpse he went with them lingering by the coffin after they had returned to their seats and bending over the white still face where death had left a smile so peaceful so inexpressibly sweet that it touched the boy keenly and stooping down he kissed the stiffened lips and murmured through his tears dear grandpa forgive me for doubting you i know you were good i know you are in heaven he spoke in a whisper and no one heard what he said though all noted the pallor of his face and the heavy rings about his eyes and when the next day it was rumoured in town that he was very sick no one was surprised it was brain fever induced by the strain upon his mental powers and the cold he had taken that night when unknown to any one he had gone to the farmhouse through the storm and returned again 
for three weeks he lay at the very gates of death watched and cared for as few boys have ever been cared for and watched for he was the idol of hearts which would break if he were to die the farmhouse was shut up and hannah took her post as chief nurse to the boy she loved so much and whose condition puzzled her a little once in the first days of his illness when after an absence of an hour or so she re-entered the room where his father was keeping watch he lifted his bright fever-stricken eyes to her face and asked who was the man what man hannah and her brother asked simultaneously a great fear in the heart of each lest the other had betrayed what gray was not to know have you told him burton whispered to his sister who answered you know i have not then turning to gray who was still looking at her she said to him again what man for a moment the wild bright eyes regarded her fixedly then there seemed to come over the boy a gleam of reason and he replied i don't know after that he never mentioned the man again or in any way alluded to the secret weighing so heavily upon the two who watched him so constantly hannah and his father not a word ever passed between them either on the subject so anxious were they for the life of the lad who in his delirium talked constantly of the past of europe and the ship and the mountains he had climbed and whose names were on his alpenstock again he was at carnarvon going over the old castle and again at melrose fighting on the fourth of july with neil macpherson who had said his mother was not a lady then there were quieter moods when he talked of and to little bessie macpherson whom he had never seen but who came to him in his delirium and with her sunny blue eyes and golden hair hovered around his bed while he questioned her of the little room high up in the hotel where she went without her dinner so often while her heartless mother dined luxuriantly send for her and bring her here where she can have enough to eat why don't you send for bessie he would say to them and once he said it to miss macpherson who was standing by his bedside and who replied i have sent for her she is coming all right he answered stuff her when she comes give her all the mince pie she can eat and all the griddle cakes she never saw any at home after that he was more quiet but every morning and every evening he asked has bessie come and when told not yet he would reply send her to me when she comes i want to see her and so the time went on until the fever spent itself and there came a morning when gray awoke to perfect consciousness of the present and a vague remembrance of the past they told him how long he had been sick and how anxious they had been did i talk much he asked his aunt lucy when she was alone with him yes most of the time she replied and over his face there flitted a shadow of fear lest he had talked of things he ought not what did i say he asked and she told him as nearly as she could remember and aunt hannah was here all the time where is she now he inquired and lucy replied she went home last night for the first time in two weeks she had to go as the snow had drifted under the eaves and the house was leaking badly is she there alone gray asked with a shudder as he thought of that hidden grave under the floor no sam is there and i sent sarah with her was lucy's answer and after a moment gray continued wasn't mr sandford here once in the room i mean yes many times lucy replied he prayed for you here two or three times and in the church every sunday send for him i want to see him send now gray said adding as he saw the expression of joy on his aunt's face and guessed what was in her mind don't think i'm awful good or going to join the church it is not that but i want to see the minister before aunt hannah comes back fortunately mr sandford was at that very moment below 
he had stopped on his way to the post-office to inquire for gray at whose side he soon stood holding the pale hand in his and looking inquiringly into the eager face of the boy who had asked to see him alone and who said to him as he had to his aunt lucy don't think i am good or going to join the church for i am not i thank you for praying for me i guess it helped me pull through and i am going to pray myself by and by but i don't want you to talk to me about that now i want to ask you something grandpa never joined the church and at the funeral you said he was good that he was safe did you mean it gray's eyes were fixed earnestly upon the rector who answered unhesitatingly i wish i were as sure of heaven as he i know he is safe you are sure gray rejoined flushing a little for now he was nearing the real object of his interview with the rector you are sure and aunt hannah is sure she ought to know you believe her a good woman mr sandford could not understand the breathless eagerness with which gray awaited his reply which came quickly decidedly your aunt hannah yes she is the best the truest the purest woman who ever lived she is a martyr a saint an angel i never knew one like her thank you gray said with a look of intense relief in his eyes you have made me very happy i wanted to feel sure about grandpa and now please go i am very tired some time i will see you again so the rector left him feeling a little disappointed with the result of his interview he had hoped that gray wished to speak with him of himself and of his new resolves for the future when in fact it was only a wish to be reassured of his grandfather's safety which the boy possibly doubted a little because he had never united himself with the church that hannah had anything to do with it the rector never suspected and did not dream of the great gladness in gray's heart as he kept repeating to himself she is good even if she did know she is a saint a martyr and an angel and i distrusted her but all my life hereafter i will devote to her by way of atonement it was late in the afternoon when hannah returned to gray's park and went up to see her nephew of whose improved condition she had heard oh auntie he cried when he saw her i am so glad to have you back and hannah did not guess that the boy had her back in more ways than one but she kissed him and cried over him and told him how her heart had ached when she feared she might lose him and how desolate the world would be without him while he told her how much he loved her and how he meant to care for her when he was a man and take her to europe and everywhere and you will grow young again he said you have never had any youth i guess how old are you auntie she told him she was forty-six and making a little mental subtraction he thought fifteen when it happened no she has had no youth no girlhood but to her he said you do not look so old and you are very pretty still not exactly like aunt lucy or mother you are different from them both though more like aunt lucy whose face is the sweetest i ever saw except yours which looks as if christ had put his hand hard upon it and left his impress there there were great tears upon the face where christ had laid his hand so hard and gray kissed them away and then asked about the old house and said he was coming to spend the day with her just as soon as possible and the night too adding in a sudden burst of bravery and enthusiasm and i'll sleep in grandpa's room if you wish it i'm not afraid because he died in there no no hannah said and her cheek paled a little it is not necessary for you to sleep there no one will ever do that again i shall always keep it as he left it gray knew what she meant but made no comment and as he seemed very tired hannah soon left him to rest 
naturally strong and full of vigour gray's recovery was rapid and in ten days from the time the fever left him his father drove him to the farmhouse where hannah was expecting him with the south room made as cheerful as possible and a most tempting lunch spread for him upon a little round table before the fire mr gerald was going to boston that afternoon and so gray was left alone with his aunt as he wished to be for he meant to tell her that he too shared her secret and after his father had gone and his lunch was over he burst out suddenly auntie there is something i must tell you i can't keep it any longer i was here the night grandpa died i was in the kitchen and heard about-about that under the floor gray hannah gasped as her work dropped from her nerveless hands which shook violently yes gray went on i wanted to come with father but he said no and so i went to my room but could not go to bed for i knew grandpa was dying and i wished to see him and i stole out the back way and came across the fields and into the kitchen where i stood warming myself by the stove and heard you all talking in the next room i did not mean to listen but i could not help it and i heard grandpa say thirty-one years ago to-night i killed a man in the kitchen yonder and buried him under the floor under my bed and have slept over him ever since you see i remember his very words they affected me so much i thought the floor came up and struck me in the face and that my throat would burst with the lump which almost strangled me i did not hear any more for i ran from the house into the open air where i could breathe and went back to grace park and up to my room without being missed at all i thought i should die and that was what made me sick and why i did not come here till the funeral and why i did not want to see grandpa i was so disappointed so shocked and afraid he was not in heaven till i heard what mr sandford said and auntie i must tell you all i thought dreadful things of you too because you knew i thought you were what they said old scape gallows was an accomplice oh gray my boy no no hannah cried aghast this is worse than death and from you i cannot bear it in an instant gray was kneeling at her side imploring her forgiveness and telling her he did not think this of her now i know you are good a saint a martyr an angel the best woman that ever lived mr sandford said so mr sandford hannah exclaimed what do you mean you have not spoken to him not of that gray said but i sent for him you know and aunt lucy thought i was going to be good and join the church but i only wanted him to tell me sure that grandpa was safe and that you were good as i used to think you were he never suspected i was inquiring about you i brought it in so neat but he said you were a martyr a saint an angel and the best woman that ever lived and i believed him and love you so much and pity you so much for all you must have suffered and now tell me about it don't omit a single detail i want to know it all so she told him everything and when the story was ended he took her white face between his two hands and kissing it tenderly said now i am sure you are a saint a martyr an angel but the martyrdom is over i shall take care of you i will help you find elizabeth rogers or her heirs and father shall not know i'll go to europe when i am a man and inquire at every house in carnarvon for joel rogers or his sister and when i find the heirs i will send the money to them and they shall never know where it came from and if there are shares in quarries and mines i'll manage that somehow i am to be a lawyer you know and i can find some kink which will work how he comforted her with his cheery hopeful words and how fast the hours flew by until tom came to take him back to gray's park 
but gray begged so hard to stay all night that hannah ventured to keep him and tom returned without him i am not a bit afraid of the house now and would as soon sleep in grandpa's room as anywhere he said to hannah as they sat together in the evening and then they talked of her future until gray was old enough to take care of her as he meant to do shall you stay here he asked and hannah replied i don't know yet what i shall do i shall let your father decide for me you might live with us in boston gray said that would be jolly for me but i don't know how you and mother would hitch together you are so unlike i wish i was big and married and then i know just where you would go but father will arrange it i am sure and three weeks later when burton came up from boston after his son he did arrange it for her it is of no use he said to her i have tried meeting and mingling with my friends and i feel as if they saw on my face what is always in my mind and if i stay in boston i shall some day scream out to the public that my father was a murderer i could not help it and i can understand now how lucy was wrought upon to do what she did in church when they thought her crazy i shall be crazy too if i stay here and i am going away geraldine likes europe and so do i and as i can leave my business as well as not i shall shut up my house and go abroad until i feel that i can look my fellow-men in the face and gray hannah asked sorrowfully knowing how dreary her life would be with him so far away i shall take him with me her brother replied i shall put him in school somewhere in england or germany and send him eventually to oxford but you will stay here won't you i'd rather you would yes she answered still more sadly for she fully understood the intense selfishness of the man who went on i shall be happier knowing you are here for i cannot have the house sold or rented or even left alone lest by some chance the secret of our lives should be discovered i am almost as morbid on the subject as father was but with you here i shall feel safe you can have any one live with you whom you choose and i will supply you with plenty of money so i do not see why you should not in time be quite content yes brother hannah said very low but shall i not see gray for years perhaps not i don't know was her brother's reply as he arose to go without a single throb of pity for the woman who was to be left alone in the home so hateful to him but gray when he heard of the plan which did not surprise him comforted her with the assurance that he should spend all his long vacations with her as he did not mind crossing the ocean at all i may be with you oftener than if i were in america and then some time i'll go to carnarvon and begin the search so don't feel so badly he said to her as he saw the great tears roll down her cheeks and guessed in part her sorrow and so the necessary arrangements were made as rapidly as possible and one saturday about the middle of march hannah stood on the wharf in new york with a feeling like death in her heart and saw gray sail away and leave her there alone sixteen expecting bessie after miss macpherson had sent her letter to her nephew archie asking him to give his little daughter to her keeping her whole nature seemed to change and there was on her face a look of happy expectancy rarely seen there before even her cook sarah and her maid flora noticed and disgusted as they sat together by the kitchen fire but as miss macpherson never encouraged familiarities with her domestics they asked her no questions and only wondered and speculated when she bade them remove everything from the small bedroom at the end of the upper hall which communicated with her own sleeping apartment 
but when this room was papered and painted and furnished with a pretty carpet of drab and blue and a single iron bedstead with lace hangings and a child's bureau and rocking-chair and more than all when a large doll was bought with a complete wardrobe for it flora could no longer restrain her curiosity but asked if her mistress were expecting a child yes was the reply my grandniece betsy who was named for me she lives at stoneleigh my old home in wales and i may get a letter any day saying she has sailed i shall go to new york to meet her so have my things ready for me to start at a moment's notice so confident was miss macpherson that her nephew would be glad to have his daughter removed from the influences around her to a home where she was sure of enough to eat and that his frivolous wife would be glad to be rid of a child who must be in the way of her flirtations that she was constantly expecting to hear that she was coming she did not believe archie would bring her himself but she thought he would probably consign her to the care of some reliable person or put her in charge of the captain or stewardess and in her anxiety to have the little girl she had written a second letter three days after she sent the first in this she had suggested the stewardess of the celtic whom she knew and with whom she assured archie he could trust his child but days and weeks went by until it was past the middle of june and still there were no tidings of bessie at last however there came a foreign letter addressed in a woman's hand too miss elizabeth macpherson allington wooster county massachusetts u s a the elizabeth was an affront to the good woman who bristled all over with resentment as she held the dainty envelope in her hand and studied the strange monogram d a m daisy allen macpherson swears even in her monogram i knew she would was miss betsy's comment as she broke the seal and began to read first muttering to herself she writes well enough the letter was as follows stoneleigh bangor june third our dear aunt humph i am not her aunt was the mental comment and then she read on we have just come home from paris where we spent several delightful weeks with a party of friends who would gladly have kept us longer but archie was homesick for the old place though what he can see in it to admire i am sure i do not know so here we are for an indefinite length of time and here we found both your letters which old anthony who grows more and more stupid every year failed to forward to us in paris as archie leaves everything to me he said i must answer the letters and thank you for your offer to remove our little girl from the poisonous atmosphere you think surrounds her and bring her up morally and spiritually i do not know what the atmosphere of stoneleigh used to be when you lived here but i assure you it is very healthy now not at all poisonous or malarious we have had some of the oldest ewes cut down and that lets in the sunshine and fresh air too but i am wandering from the object of my letter which is to say that we cannot let you have our little bessie even with the prospect of her learning to scour knives and pare potatoes and possibly having a few thousands if she does well archie would as soon part with his eyes as with bessie while nothing short of an assured fortune and that a large one would induce me to give her up she is in one sense my stock in trade heartless wretch dropped from the indignant lady's lips her stock in trade what does she mean does she play out this child for her own base purposes then she read on strangers are always attracted by her and through her we make so many pleasant acquaintances indeed she quite throws me into the shade but i am not at all jealous i am satisfied to be known only as bessie's mother i am very proud of her and hope some day to see her at least a countess countess fool muttered miss betsy and read on 
the enclosed photograph is like her in features but fails i think in expression but i send it as it will give you some idea of her as she is now here miss betsy stopped and taking a card from the bit of tissue paper in which it was wrapped gazed earnestly and with a feeling of intense yearning and bitter disappointment upon the beautiful face whose great wide-open blue eyes looked at her just as they had looked at her on the sands at aberystwyth the photographer's art had succeeded admirably with bessie and made a most wonderful picture of childish innocence and beauty besides bringing out about the mouth and into the eyes that patient half-sorry expression which spoke to miss betsy of loneliness and hunger far up in the fourth and fifth stories of fashionable hotels where the little girl often ate her smuggled dinner of rolls and nuts and raisins and whatever else her mother could convey into her pocket unobserved by those around her yes she looks as if a big slice of plum pudding or mince pie would do her good poor little thing and i am not to have her miss betsy said with a lump in her throat as she continued reading you saw her once i know three years ago at aberystwyth though she had no idea then who the funny woman was who asked her so many questions why didn't you make yourself known to us archie would have been delighted to meet you he never saw you i believe and why didn't you speak to me when i went by as bessie says i did was archie with me i wonder or was it young lord hardy from dublin archie's best friend he was with us there and sometimes walked with me when archie was not inclined to go out he is very nice and archie is very fond of him while to bessie and me he is like a brother here miss betsy stopped again and taking off her spectacles harangued the tortoise-shell cat who was sitting on the rug and looking at her archie's friend her brother humbug it does make me so mad to see a married woman with a young whippersnapper of a fellow chasing after her and using her husband as a cover mark my words the woman who does that is not a pure good woman at heart or in thought though outwardly she may be sweet as sugar and her husband well he is both weak and unmanly to allow it and is looked upon with contempt to all this mrs tortoiseshell purred an assent and the lady went on with the letter bessie is wailing for me to go for a walk and so i must bring this letter to a close archie sends his love and will with me be very glad to welcome you to your old home should you care to visit it when i was a child i thought it the grandest place in the world but it is very much run down for we have no money with which to keep it up and have only the two servants anthony and dorothy both of whom are getting old and yet i do not complain of archie for not trying to do something once however before we were married i tried to rouse him to something like energy and caring for himself but since seeing the world his world i mean for you know of course i am not what would be considered his equal socially i have changed my mind and do not blame him at all brought up as he was with an idea that he must not work it is very hard for him to overcome early prejudices of training and education and i think his uncle the honourable john would be intensely mortified to have his nephew in trade though he is very careful not to give him anything toward his support and we are so poor that even a hundred pounds would be a fortune to us maybe some good angel will send it to us by and by hoping it most devoutly i have the honour to be very sincerely your niece daisy allen mcpherson p s bessie thanks you again for the turquoise ring you sent her a hundred pounds five hundred dollars and maybe she devoutly hopes i shall be the good angel who will send it to her but she is mistaken do i look like an angel 
miss betsy said fiercely addressing herself to the cat no they may go to destruction their own way i wash my hands of them i should have been glad for the little girl but i can't have her she will grow up like her mother marry some fool have her friend and brother dangling after her and smuggle dinners and lunches for her children up in the attic well so be it that ends it for ever the letter was an insult from beginning to end and miss macpherson felt it as such and with a sigh of keen regret as for something lost she put away the picture and when flora asked when little miss bessie was coming she answered curtly never end of chapters fifteen and sixteen end of part one